Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. If you're new, if you need a Bible, um, we have a whole bunch of them at the back. Um, We use the ESV translation. We like that translation. It's awesome. Uh, But if you don't have a Bible, put up your hand and Murray, who's got the beautiful pink shirt on, he will get you a Bible um, so you can read along um, with what we're reading today. We are in Matthew chapter 3. We're in a great series um, that we're going to be in for a long time. And I've just been so thoroughly enjoying seeing what God has to say in His Word, and it's, it's deeper and more intricate than I imagined when we first began, and every week I get to studying, and it's just like, oh, there's all these things that I'm learning and enjoying and being convicted by, so I hope it's blessing you as we read it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, um, we're, we're finally into the third chapter, we're still not going to meet Jesus yet, that's next week, um, but Matthew's been painting this picture of who is this Jesus character, what's his identity? And he's been trying to tell his readers so far that he's of the line of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham, therefore he's the blessing to all the nations. He's the son of David, therefore he's the promised king who will actually save his people. Um, but the salvation that Jesus brings is not a political salvation. Um, it's a spiritual one that leads into a physical and, and everything else. But first and foremost, he saves people from their sins. Um, which is our greatest threat, our greatest danger, is not COVID, it's not warring, you know, threats from overseas, it's in ourselves, sin. And praise God that God sent His Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of our, or from our sins. Um, So that's what Matthew's been trying to show the reader, is that Jesus is that guy, and He's awesome. We come to our last little kind of pre-Jesus section, um, and I've entitled this message, Be Prepared for the King. Uh, So Matthew's given us this identity of who Jesus is, and then he's going to now bring the last kind of prophetic fulfillment into into four um, with John the Baptist preparing the way for the king to come. So let us read Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, um, so there's like a gap of 30 years between our last sermon and now, but in those days, just in general, um, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat 
into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Our God and Father, may you bless the preaching of your word this afternoon. Amen. I don't know, as the holidays come up, I start to think about, like, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Um, but I don't know if you're anything like me. I hate the preparation process for going on holidays. Obviously, love the holiday, but all the hard work in between is not, like, my favorite thing. So I basically outsource it to Maddie um, because she's very prepared and organized. Uh, because, you know, all those details of like what I should pack and what I should do, it just seems like too much work, too much effort. Um, it kind of stresses me out a little bit. So my usual port of call for getting prepared for holidays is leave it to the morning of and throw everything in a suitcase and hope for the best. Uh, but every time I have the same problem, I can't find the things that I want, I don't have everything that I need, I get incredibly anxious and frustrated and actually make the first day of the holidays quite annoying <laughs> and, you know, and undesirable. Uh, whereas, you know, I should take cue from my beautiful wife, who's very clever. He, she starts planning out for our holidays two weeks in advance, buying things, sorting things out, packing bags, getting things ready, so that she's ready. So on the day, all we have to do is put things in the car and go. You know, the act of being prepared, <laughs> as undesirable as it can be because of all the work and the, the sacrifice and all that that it takes, um, enables us to truly enjoy the thing we are preparing for. We can be, if you're anything like me, you can be putting off preparation, but then when the actual event comes or, you know, the birthday party or whatever it is, the dinner party you're hosting, whatever comes, you don't enjoy it as much because it comes all of a sudden, all at once, and you're not ready. And in God's kindness to the people of Israel, He sent forth John the Baptist, this desert, wilderness, camel hair, locust, and wild honey-eating preacher, and John the Baptist's job was to go forward and prepare the way for the Savior to come, for the Messiah. To actually go out so that when Jesus rocked up on the scene, it wasn't zero to a hundred. John's role was to prepare people's hearts so that when Christ came, they were ready to receive him. And so that when Jesus came, there were many that were prepared and ready and had already confessed their sins and were eager and anticipating his arrival. We're going to see today that John's basic message was this. Be prepared for the king and his kingdom. Be prepared for the king and his kingdom. But John's message of preparation, John's role as the preparer, wasn't just for the Jews in that time. We're going to see today that it actually extends into our time period right now and that what John was doing is still relevant and applicable us. You see, each one of us needs to be prepared. Not for our holidays, though I'm very excited to go camping for two weeks, in two weeks. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to start getting prepared now because I want it to be a good, I want to learn from my lessons. But we all need to be prepared. <laughs> my, my wife is, yes, thank you, doll. Um, but we actually need to be prepared for the Lord in our hearts, in our souls, for the King and the King's second coming. So three points today. Point number one, be prepared for the kingdom. Point number two, be prepared for the king. And point number three, be prepared and be preparing. And that'll make sense when we get there. So let's jump into our passage and see what the Lord has for us in detail. 
Point number one, be prepared for the kingdom. Let's read Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 again. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Um, and if you're, not, if you're new to the Bible um, and Christian faith, you might be thinking, what is this? You know, who is this dude, John the Baptist? Why is he so important? Um, and maybe you're even just sitting here thinking, you've, you've read this story a lot, but why? Why did, why did John the Baptist have to come? Why, why did he have a role in redemptive history? Jesus could have just rocked up, and it would have been fine because he's, he's God. He can kind of handle it. So why did the Lord send John the Baptist? Well, we come into a particular place in the story of God's working with his people. We come about 400 years after the last prophetic words have been spoken and written. And so for John the Baptist, this prophetic person to arrive in the wilderness, is quite a significant moment in Israel's history. They haven't really had a prophet for 400 years. And in fact, the last prophetic word spoken to the people of Israel was this. Read Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. You see, the Israelites at that time had this expectation of an Elijah-like figure. Now, Elijah was a prophet in about the 8th or 9th century in Jerusalem. He was a crazy dude. Read his story. It's awesome. He's very confrontational and sees amazing miracles happen. And right at the end of the Old Testament, there's this promise that an Elijah figure will come again, a prophet who will confront the people, but who will also bring consolation to the people. He's going to come with a message that will bring children and, and the whole generations back together, but also for those who reject him, it's going to bring desolation and destruction. And so then when, John, uh, when Matthew in verse 4 records um, that John the Baptist came wearing camel hair and locusts and wild honey, you think, why do, why do we need that level of detail? Well, the reason why we need that level of detail is because that's what Elijah himself wore. In 2 Kings 1.8, um, they're describing this person that they saw, and these guys say, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And they all said, it's Elijah, the Tishbite. And so this great anticipation for the people of Israel is that this Elijah figure will come, and when this Elijah figure will come, the day of the Lord will come. Now, the day of the Lord is this great prophetic idea that God is going to wrap up all of human history. He's going to destroy the wicked, the proud, and the rebellious, and He's going to restore Israel to its position of honor and security and peace in His covenant. It's going to be a day of great gloom and a day of great rejoicing. And so they were hoping for this day because they were overtaken by the Romans, they were under oppression, they were exiles in their own land, and so when this guy comes along in camel hair and wild man, just like Elijah, you know, popularity breaks out, Twitter goes crazy, you know, TikTok shuts down, everything like that, because John the Baptist, this Elijah-like figure, has appeared. And so John the Baptist comes to do two things. Um, we're told in verse 1, 
He's a Baptist. <laughs> that's his, you know, that's kind of what he does. There were lots of Johns in that time, by the way. Um, and so he was the John that was the baptizing John. That's why he's called John the Baptist. Wasn't his last name. Wasn't just a great coincidence. He came as a Baptist and he came to preach. So he's this baptizing preacher prophet, wild man. I, you can hardly imagine what he would have looked like to encounter John the Baptist. I think it would have been a crazy sight to behold. And so when John the Baptist comes, he has this message to declare. He's this Elijah figure. In fact, I think John really understands it and knows it. It's sort of like he's going to Comic-Con, dressing up as his favorite, you know, superhero. Um, except he's not just role-playing. He really is fulfilling this prophetic fulfillment. And so John the Baptist comes, and this is the message that he preaches. Read verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew gives this commentary about who this guy is. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John the Baptist's role is given to him, and it's actually another prophetic fulfillment. His job is to prepare the way for Yahweh. God Almighty, the God that led them out of Exodus, the God that you know, established His covenant with them at Sinai, the God that established them in um, Canaan and took over that region and gave them the land of Israel, put the temple in. Yahweh is coming. And so Elijah's role is to prepare the way for God to come to earth and bring about the day of the Lord, which we spoke about. They were anticipating this cataclysmic cosmic event. Okay, this is no small deal. This is their hope. You know how we hope for heaven. This is what they were hoping for, the old, you know, the people in Jesus' time. And the way that John comes to prepare the way is not by drawing swords, raising an army, a political sphere, or even setting up a rabbinical school, a teaching way. John the Baptist comes as a preacher, which is actually God's chosen method throughout all of human history to get his work done in the world. He uses preaching. He's a word God, and he uses his word to go forth. And so John preaches this simple message. Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, this prophecy about John, that he would be a way preparer, comes from the book of Isaiah. It's a really significant chapter in Isaiah chapter 40 because it's, it's a prophetic word to the people of Israel who are exiled in Babylon. They're far away from hope. They're far away from home. They're being cast out by God. And basically, all the prophetic warnings have come true. The prophets had come, like Elijah, and said, if you don't repent, you will be cast out. And lo and behold, it happened. So they're in Babylon, away from the temple, away from family, away from their land, away from their people. And then God sends this incredible message through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort, says my God, your sins are no more. But he doesn't just declare that their sins are no more. He then promises this, what we have in verse 3. Well, actually, let's read it in Isaiah 40. I don't have it in my notes, but I'm just going to read it because it's, it's, it's just so awesome. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. 
Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in this prophetic, you know, the people in Babylon are hearing this message, God is coming. They're miles away from home, God is coming. There's all this rough terrain, there's desert, there's mountain, there's wilderness. God is coming and every hill will be made low and every valley will be brought up. Yahweh is coming. It's like Exodus all over again. But note what is going to happen with John the Baptist. He's the fulfillment of this passage. And John the Baptist comes to prepare the way, not for God the Father to come, Yahweh, but for God the Son. And so by John the Baptist preparing the way, he's saying Jesus is not just some teacher. John the Baptist is later going to say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John the Baptist starts to point towards Jesus, he's saying, He is God. This man whom you are looking at right now is the one who was prophesied in Isaiah 40 that will make a way for the exiles to come home. Every valley will be made low and every hill Yeah, the other way around. Every hill will be made low. Every valley will be raised up so that there's a way for the Lord to come and redeem His people. And how does that happen? Through repentance. The way of the Lord Jesus Christ was prepared through John the Baptist coming to ordinary people like you and I and saying, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at Well, I've added in baptism. It's not there. But repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he does the baptisms. So what does it mean to repent? Why Why does this prepare the way for the Lord? Well, to repent means to change one's mind. But it means more than that. It means to actually change one's entire life. To turn from one direction and turn to another. To repent means to be sorry, Uh, not just to change your direction, but, oh, I was doing this, now I'm doing this. But to repent means to actually feel sorrow over the sins that you've committed against a holy and almighty God. To actually acknowledge that I have done those things, to turn from them in sorrowful repentance and turn to God. You turn and you trust. That's what repentance is. And the one who is truly repentant will live a changed life. So John's not saying, do all these good works and then God will accept you. John's saying, turn around right now and God will accept you. And you can enter the kingdom of heaven because that's the way God's kingdom works. But the problem is, is that as John preaches, repent and um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there's the possibility of people having false repentance. It's possible to pretend or to think you're repenting tim keller says this in religion we are mainly sorry for the consequences of sin but in the gospel we are sorry for the sin itself you see the difference between true and false repentance is false repentance is going i'm sorry that i got caught Whereas true repentance is saying, I'm sorry that I did it in the first place. I hate it. I do not want to go there again. I want to go this way. 
And so John the Baptist is going to the people and saying, you guys need to repent. Even though they're the children of God, even though they're the covenant people of God, even though they're in the land, even though they've got the temple, they need to repent. It's a radical message if you think about it. They shouldn't need to repent because they've got the system there for them. But the reality was their hearts were far from God and they needed to turn and trust. So he preaches this message of repent, but he adds to it, why should they repent? Well, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's another way of saying kingdom of God. It's what all the gospels record as this motif of what Jesus brings, the kingdom of God. And most simply, the kingdom is not a spatial idea. It's not a geographic location. They thought it was. They thought the kingdom of heaven would be coming through Jerusalem, being taken over, and the king, David, the promised one, taking over the world from there. But actually, what the kingdom of heaven is, is it means God's rule and reign. It's where God rules over hearts and souls and bodies. And so when John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's warning them. He's saying that God is going to come and establish his kingdom. And you better be on his side. God is going to come and take over this world in various ways, starting with souls and then through that into political systems and into all of human history in the, you know, the day of the Lord. And so you better be on his side. Prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming. That was John's message. And so when you put together the reality that we've heard about Jesus, that he is the Savior, or that, you know, as the angel said, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. When you put that together with this message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what, what Matthew is telling us is that salvation is coming. Salvation is near. The kingdom of heaven begins with the salvation of souls. That's why they're told to repent. They're not told to sharpen their sword. They're not told to do 150 push-ups a day, though a bunch of guys in the church are doing it, and the results are obvious, and that would be a fantastic way of training an army, clearly. Um, he doesn't tell them to do that. He tells them to deal with their sin problem. Because the king is coming, and he's going to establish his kingdom. See, at that time, there was this palpable sense of anticipation for the kingdom to be made manifest in the world. In fact, in their synagogues, which were like our modern-day churches, um, they used to pray this prayer at the end of every synagogue service at the time of Jesus. May God let his kingship rule in your lifetime and in your days and in the whole lifetime of the ha household of Israel, speedily and soon. And so John is saying this thing that you've been waiting for, the day of the Lord, the kingdom of heaven, God's kingly rule, he's saying it's about to come. It's at hand. Like it's, you could grasp it. And it's good news, bad news type of stuff. Good news if you're on that side of the king, bad news if you are not. It'd be like, you know, for me, if someone said, oh, I remember when they first declared that um, KCC, whatever convention it was, they were going to have John Piper come out. You know, he's my favorite preacher, theologian. I was like, oh my goodness, John the Piper. Yeah, John, John the Piper. <laughs> he's coming with his pipes. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And I bought my tickets to go and see him. Um, and so for, 
at, you know, might be for you, like Liverpool is coming out to play or something like that. But this idea that the kingdom of heaven is near, that was like big deal for the guys. And so everyone rushes out to see John the Baptist because he's got this message of hope and, you know, this incredible thing is about to happen. And it's like what John the Baptist is saying. It's like, a dom- you know, when you have all those dominoes set up and you touch the first one and then it sets the whole chain of events off. That's what John the Baptist is saying. Repent because the domino is about to be hit and the whole day of the Lord, all the things that have been prophesied, they're about to start knocking over and you've got until the last one falls to repent and join the kingdom. Okay, there we go. That's what he means. So let, let, what do they do in response? Look at verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Could you imagine this? You know, this is a lot of people. This is not just like 15 people. This is thousands upon thousands of people making a long journey, say 20 miles, so 35, 36 kilometers out of Jerusalem, going down into the wilderness to be dunked underwater by this hairy goat, you know, like, uh, not goat, uh, camel-haired man. And a beautiful moment too, confessing their sins, you know, admitting that I have wronged Yahweh and I need to be made right again. Imagine if we started preaching and then suddenly these, this room just starts filling and filling and filling and then we've got to start meeting down by Power River and we've got to just start baptizing in the river and don't worry about the toxins or the chemicals, just we're baptizing and thousands upon thousands of people in our city are confessing their sins. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? And that's what's happening in Jerusalem at this time. It was revival. It was incredible. And so John came and he baptized all these people. Now, the baptism, you might think, why is John baptizing? Like, that's not in the Old Testament at all. You know, it's kind of this new thing that's happened in the, in the meantime. Um, basically, what had happened was that when non-Jewish people became Jews, they'd started this practice of baptizing them. So they revoked their non-Jewishness and they fully immersed themselves into the Jewish culture. But note here, this is all Jewish people. So they're basically entirely repudiating everything that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are teaching them in saying, whatever you've taught us about God ain't right. We need to almost become a Jew again. It's like they're being changing religions from, you know, the way they've been taught into following after the king who is coming. So that's kind of trying to set the scene because there's so much going on in this passage, but you kind of get the point. John the Baptist comes preaching, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That triggers off the domino. Everything is about to happen. This great day of the Lord that's, if you read through all the prophets, the minor prophets, you'll see this repeated theme. It's all coming to happen. And the way to prepare for it is to turn from your sins and turn back to God. So the first point that I think Matthew is trying to show us here is this. Friends, we need to be prepared for the kingdom. And this is, you know, in some ways it sounds negative, but it's also joyful. The kingdom of God is awesome. We want the kingdom of God. We don't want the kingdom of Trump or Morrison or any leader. We want the kingdom of God to rule and to reign. And when you turn and trust in God, you get to enter the kingdom. And His kingly rule is just and gracious and joyful and creative and luxurious and awesome. And so when you become a follower of Him, you want the kingdom to come. We ought to long for it and be prepared for that kingdom. But more on that later. 
But he's not only going to prepare them for the kingdom, he's also going to prepare them for the king of the kingdom. Um, and it's going to get a bit, you know, there's going to be some word fights here. So let's look at point number two. Be prepared for the king. Be prepared for the king. So you've got the scene, this whole area is in revival, and you can just imagine the religious leaders at the time going, what is going on? <laughs> all of these people that we've been teaching for all these years, the way to get with God is to be ritually pure, to do the right things, be a good little boy and girl, and you'll please the Lord, and we'll bring back the king. And now there's this alternate preacher saying, no, 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 the kingdom of heaven, it's about to come. Don't worry about whatever else you're doing. Repent and join in to what the king is doing. So let's look at verse 7 and see what happens. Well, backstory. A lot of Pharisees and Sadducees, they come out to check out what's going on. So these are the religious leaders. These are the guys that have got all the props and all the power and all the followers at the moment. And this is what John says to him when he sees them come. It's not very encouraging. <laughs> but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's like you babies of snakes okay so not an encouraging term and not just normal snakes like poisonous snakes so you are children of poisonous snakes i.e you're of satan um not a great start um who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father for i tell you god is able from these stones to raise up children for abraham even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the flip side of the message of the goodness of the kingdom to come. He's looking at these Pharisees and Sadducees, the um, religious teachers. They, they actually didn't like each other, but maybe they united in this moment because of the threat of John the Baptist. And when they come out, he can tell that they're not there to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're there to criticize. They're there to judge. They're there to sneer. They're there to um, snob. Um, they're not actually humble before God. And so he lays down a um, faithful and courageous rebuke to them. He calls upon them to basically give up on their religious ways and their ways of propping themselves up so that they think they're holy before God. And he called them to actually live a life that God is calling them to. See, they, they're not true repenters because the fruit of their life doesn't bear the marks of repentance. They haven't changed. See, repentance, remember, turn from and turn to, and you turn from your sin, you turn to a life of God. Now, these guys look like they've done that, but John's saying, no, there's no fruit. You can't tell that you're actually a humble, joyful worshiper of Yahweh. And so watch out. And then he preemptively attacks their rebuttal. You know, he's critiquing their life and then he's, pre, you know, he's, he's imagining the arguments and they're going to say something like, and he says to them, do not presume to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. What he's saying here is like, guys, don't rely on your religious heritage. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're going to escape the kingdom to come and the wrath of the king who is coming. You can't rely on your background. You can't rely on the past actions of other people. You can't rely on your birthright. Every single one of you needs to repent, for the kingdom is at hand. 
You know, each one of us probably has rebuttals to this idea of repentance. You know, the idea of repenting is not a fun idea. Like, no one, I don't think any humans like saying, I am fundamentally wrong, and I have fundamentally wronged a holy God. I'm so sorry. I, I, I will change everything and go this way and follow you. We have an inner lawyer in us which says, well, I don't really need to because of X, Y, and Z. For the Israelites at that time, some of them might have been, well, I don't need to repent because I'm already in. Uh, you know, I'm a child of Abraham. And perhaps for you, you might think, I don't need to repent. You know, I was born into religion. I was born a Christian. I was born into a church. I was born a good person. But John's saying here that there's no excuse. There's no rebuttal. There's no way of not even being related to Abraham by blood will get you into the kingdom of heaven. You must repent. And you better watch out because the axe... You know, is laid at the root of the tree. That image is quite scary because normally when you fell a tree, you chop it a bit up so there's a stump so the tree can regrow. But he's saying, no, no, the axe is at the root. I'm chopping the whole tree down. When the kingdom comes, there's no second chances. The time of repentance is now. And so he's saying, be warned. Judgment is coming. And the only way to escape this judgment and not be thrown into the fire of judgment is to repent and to live a life that demonstrates you truly have. Then he goes on to really hit the point of be prepared for the king. Read with me verse 11 and 12. So John, speaking about himself, says, Now I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, John is trying to say to these, everyone there, I'm not the guy. I'm not the one that, you know, I'm not preparing the way for myself. I'm preparing the way for someone mightier than I. The king is coming to bring his kingdom And I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals. Now, in that time, you know, rabbis would have slaves and they would even have like disciples who were basically slaves. But not even the Jewish disciples of rabbis were low enough to hold their own sandals. They didn't have to do that job. Non-Jewish slaves were the only people in that culture that would carry, you know, their master's feet, feet things, sandals around, right? And John is saying, I'm not even as low as that compared to the one who's coming after me. I'm preparing the way for the Lord. I'm preparing the way for Yahweh to come. And we're going to find out next week, he's going to point to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the the baby that we've been learning about for the past number of weeks. And when he comes, well, he's not going to just baptize with water for a bit of repentance. He's going to come, and this mighty one is going to bring the Holy Spirit. He's going to give to people the gift of the triune God imparted into you as a you know, pledge of acceptance with God and the power of God to be with you presently. It's incredible. No one in the Old Testament could give out the Holy Spirit and hardly anyone received or had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit upon them 
David and some of the psalmists and things like that and the kings, but it was very rare. But this mighty one who's coming to bring the day of the Lord will give you the Holy Spirit and he'll baptize with fire, which means he'll purify and judge. Now this picks up again on an Old Testament promise in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel prophesies the coming of the new covenant. This is what will happen. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. That's sort of like John the Baptist's ministry. Cleansing of idols and turning to God. And this is what will happen. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, the problem with all of Israel and all human, you know, our problem is that we have a heart of stone. We cannot change ourselves and we cannot truly follow God. And we need this new heart of flesh. We need the spirit to change us and mold us from the inside out. John is saying, Jesus the one I'm about to point to, is the one who will bring that Holy Spirit. He will give you a heart of flesh. He will change you so that you can be a different person to who you are trapped in at this present time. So he comes to bring this beautiful gift, but he comes to judge, verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He's drawing on an agricultural image that when they harvested the wheat, they had this winnowing fork. I don't even know what it looks like. But basically, from what I've read, this is what they do. They grab the wheat and they throw it up in the air. The wind would take the bad bits of wheat that they didn't need and blow it away. And the good, heavy, you know, grain bits would stay on the ground. And the image is that once you do that, you know, with all your harvest, you get this big pile of chaff, you know, useless, just husk and, you know, dead, you know, bit of wheat germ that's there. And all they would do with that is throw it into the fire to be burned. And so this coming one is coming to bring the Holy Spirit and to bless his people and bring the kingdom. But he's also coming to separate the kingdom, to separate those who are true or to separate people for the kingdom, to separate those who are truly repentant and those who are falsely repentant. The true repenters will receive the Spirit, they're the wheat, but those who have never repented of their sins truly will be like chaff, and they will be burned with unquenchable fire. It's a horrible image. It's a, it's a terrible and frightening image. And so John is preaching to the people, and he's preaching to us, as we're going to see in a moment, be prepared not just for the kingdom of heaven to come, but for the king, the mighty one, the savior and judge. So point number one, be prepared for the kingdom. It's coming. Point number two, be prepared for the king. But finally, be prepared and be preparing. I just want to end by bringing this Kind of down to, you know, Rydalmere. Okay, so we're out. We've been in Israel for a long time, but trying to land the plane a little bit here. I think the way this passage ought to function in our lives is it's a call to each and every single one of us to ask this question. Am I prepared? 
John's ministry was to prepare the way so that people could receive the Lord. Are you prepared to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? And the way to figure that out is to ask the subsequent question. If you are not yet right with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not confessed that you are a sinner, acknowledge that fact, actually experience sorrow over your sin, that you have sinned against a holy God, you need to turn from your sin and turn to God. And the amazing thing is, is that through Jesus Christ, He has made a way. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, but Jesus prepared the way for us to truly meet God by dying like we saw in communion, in our place, for our sins, on the cross. He took all those horrible sins that you and I have committed and He paid for them in His body on the tree. So that if you come to God in humble repentance, it's paid in full. Like we sang, Jesus paid it all. If you don't, one day you will stand before Jesus as king. And you will stand there as a sinner. And he will separate you, the wheat from the chaff. You'll be judged for all the sin that you've done in your life. And you will be sent to the unquenchable fire. There's no escaping it. That's what John prophesied that Jesus would do. That is what the rest of the New Testament says will happen to all those who do not trust in Jesus Christ. And so this is a very serious message this afternoon, a message that we don't like to hear. We must be prepared to meet Jesus Christ on the day that we die or on the day that He returns. Be prepared by repenting and experience the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Enter into the joy of the kingdom and know how good the King is. And finally, be preparing. See, John the Baptist had a ministry to prepare Israel for the coming of the King. But Jesus says later that any who comes after John the Baptist, who follows him, is actually greater than John the Baptist. We're greater how? Because we know the whole story. John never saw Jesus die and rose again, but we've read and we've heard and we've believed. And so we are actually greater than John the Baptist. We don't have to have the same diet or you know, clothing choices, but we actually are called to be a part of the same ministry. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist prepared for the coming of the King. Our task is to prepare for the second coming of the King. We have neighbors, friends, family, those that we love, who are in that position of they have never repented for their sins. The axe is at the root of the tree. The winnowing fork is in his hand. The unquenchable fire lies awaiting them. And so who is it in your life that you need to put on your camel hair, <laughs> grab your locusts and honey, and go out and preach the good news to them? Who do you need to, like John the Baptist said, Call people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We all need to be prepared for Jesus, personally. But we're also called to be preparing others to meet Him, too. Because one day He will come, and then it will be, then it will be too late.
you know, I was driving the other day reflecting on this passage, and it, it, these are hard truths to just comprehend, to, to feel the weight of. You know, I was driving, and I, I just seen car after car after car drive past, and just thinking, there are eternal souls in those cars, whole families, thousands of people we drive past every day. And unless we get out there and tell them like John the Baptist did with courage and love and humility, they will never hear the message that the King is coming and they will be surprised and they will not have their sins forgiven. And so friends, may I call upon you and may I charge you in the name of Jesus to go and prepare your friends and family to meet the King. Offer the hope of salvation in the gospel. And perhaps we may see, like John the Baptist did, a, a revival of repentance, a confession of sin, lives changed, and we'll have to figure out where we're going to meet them. Maybe we can meet in Bunnings if that happens, because um, no one's in there at the moment. So friends, preparing is hard work. I don't like preparing. But in order to enjoy the day when the event comes, we need to be prepared. Repentance is all of life. It doesn't just happen once. We, we constantly need to be repenting. But if you've never taken that first step, do it today. Come and speak to me. I'd love to lead you in a prayer of repentance and you can have it done, sealed and paid for today. And be preparing. Care for the lost souls and care enough to act. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray and ask that you would help us to be prepared and be preparing. God, we thank you that you will come and bring your kingdom. We, we want your kingdom. We want to see you return. We want to see sin and death and Satan destroyed once and for all. We want to see this world in corruption and bondage to decay be liberated. We long to experience that day when you return. And so may you come speedily. But Lord, may you lead us and empower us by your Spirit to go and to prepare people to meet their Maker. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.